0: Ruckus Maker, I want to ask you a question about change. Would you rather take a number of little steps that add up to something impactful over time? Or would you rather take massive action up front and close those gaps quickly? Of course, it could be argued that this is a context specific question, but I'll admit, my default is to believe in change as small steps that add up to something major over time. But today's guest, David Hardy Jr., challenged my thinking and made it better. And for that, Dave, I'll say thank you. I also wonder if my natural tendency toward small steps over time has to do with privilege. But that's another conversation and a whole other podcast episode. You'll also want to hang around for the second half of this podcast. Dave shares a great story about a goldfish, and I found it compelling and it'll help you make change happen within your school as well. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers just like you, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. We'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. (laughs) The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organize Binder, which increases student active engagement and participation and reduces classroom management issues. Learn more at OrganizeBinder.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. It's basically like a Fitbit for teachers, helping them be mindful of teacher talk versus student talk. Get a special 20% discount for your school or district by visiting TeachFX.com. Forward slash blbs. Isolation is the number one enemy of excellence, and isolation is also a choice. There's a better way. In fact, here's what Michelle, a school leader in Maryland, has to say about the mastermind. The best part of the mastermind is a supportive community. School leadership can be isolating, but knowing I have a team of other school leaders with whom to share ideas, struggles, and wins— gives me the courage and resolve to do what's best for my school community. Get connected and level up your leadership by applying to the mastermind today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. David Hardy Jr. is an educator by trade, a writer and speaker by passion, a father and husband by love, and a believer that our way forward is transforming the way education exists for children who do not have champions for them in their corner through the leaders who should have the best interests in heart
1: and mind. Dave, welcome to the show. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here.
0: Absolutely. So, You told me there's two types of superintendents, and let's just, we'll we'll call them two types of leaders, right? Because a lot of the listeners are, are principals. And one approach is to take many baby steps over time, and those baby steps add up to big change. And another approach is to take massive action up front, closing those gaps quickly, and you fall into that camp, the latter camp. So tell the ruckus maker listening why that's your approach.
1: Yeah, because I, I, I see individual kids' faces when I'm forced with a choice of taking baby steps or taking leaps and bounds towards transformational change. And I look at that child's face, I look at that child's name and realize that they don't have 12 to 13 years for us to get better. They don't have, um, you know, over a decade of time for us to figure out what we need to do as adults. And so I feel we as adults need to get out of the way. So, that our kids can progress at a rate in which they're needed. And so, when I look at, you know, Deshaun, who's sitting there in my sixth grade English classes and he's needing, you know, two years of remedial support, I can't say that I'm going to quietly change the curriculum over the next four years because he's already two years behind. So, when you think about that, and then you multiply that by hundreds of kids in a town or city, you're directly impacting a generation worth of education by moving fast or slow. And going small or big, and so for me, it's a, it's the the urgency, it's the moment, it's the time to ensure that generations of kids are getting what they need to be successful.
0: Yeah, I think you you, you highlight the urgency there, so that's very apparent to me, and, and probably the ruckus maker listening, you probably didn't know I'd ask this. You use the name Deshaun. I'm curious, is that a student you had, or is that just uh, sort of like a an avatar, an ideal student that you think about? When you're considering change?
1: No, Deshaun was a real student for me when I was a principal. And he was everything that you can imagine, a 11 year old boy who, you know, had the world in front of him, a ton of just innate talent that was waiting to get out, but unfortunately had a people had a perception of him that's very different than who he was. And I saw that in him. I saw like the the two Deshaun's people saw. And I just did not want to get in the way of what was possible and rely on what people have told me about Deshaun and told me about behaviors and other things that might've occurred in the past and just relied on the reality of like, here's actually what Deshaun is and what he's presenting and what he needs to be successful. And I feel that if I keep that Deshaun in my heart, in my mind, it'll force me to think about every kid who has been told that they can't, they won't, they shouldn't because of something else they might've presented at a moment in time when reality is kids can be great if we just let them. So Deshaun is real. And I think Deshaun is not only a, a figurative person, but is a real person in my life.
0: And that, that keeps you grounded in that urgency. And the reason I brought that up is, you know, when we connected for this podcast, I, we, there's a process that I bring my guests through and I talk about an ideal listener. And I talk, I talk to every guest too about having that one listener in mind, you know, when uh, you're telling your stories. And so I think what I'm seeing too with you, with, with leadership, having that student in mind also right to help you make change happen is really powerful. And I'm guessing that you use Deshaun in your leadership time and again when trying to motivate staff uh, in different ways. Is that a good assumption?
1: That's true. And and there's a Deshaun, there's a Tony, a Brianna, a Jared, a Elijah. Like I have kids that I've been lucky to, you know, in some form or fashion. Been in their lives, they've been in mine. And uh, I feel lucky to be able to pull on their stories, not only to keep me going in the moments Mm -hmm. where, you know, I'm like, you know what, let's just throw our hands up and return to status quo, you know, starts to enter my mind even temporarily. And then I see those faces again and they demand and deserve so much more. So I I pull on stories all the time in my blog and from people that I talk to uh, every day. And I actually, honestly, I have a call coming up uh, this week to talked to four of my former scholars when I was a principal who are now uh, going to be rising seniors in college. And we're going to talk about education equity at at, at a webinar coming up. But nonetheless, those are the things that keep me going, but it also just keeps me grounded and humbled. And like the reality of the work that we actually are doing for kids has a name behind it, right? It's Mm -hmm. not a number. It's not a, a student ID. It is a person. And so I try to bring that to the people that I work with. Most of my team will know that one of the first things we do as a team is that we tell each other stories and we tell each other a name of a kid and that we're doing this work for. And we start off our journey together that way in every position that I've been in. And so those are the things that I think fuel us and definitely fuel me.
0: When did that start? Where did you learn it? Did you, did you take that idea and said, oh, I'm using that? Did you create it? I'm just I'm, I'm very curious. That that's a brilliant way to lead uh, teams.
1: Yeah, I, I'm sure I stole it from someone a long time ago. But in education, we call it borrowing. Um, yeah. So I borrowed I borrowed that technique from a colleague of mine. This had to be about 15 years ago. Mm. Who we were just going through the process of kind of introducing each other, and he actually started with a story of a child. I was like, wow, he got me. Like that's. That's me. That's how I think about this work. And so since then, I've I've taken that nugget and just adapted it depending on circumstances and on my environment. But it's evolved to us, you know, kind of giving our own leadership story and pairing it with the name of a child at the very least, to the point where I just led a keynote uh, a couple of weeks ago. In which uh, that was the first activity, even on the webinar, I was like, write down the name of a kid in which you know that you've you know, impacted their lives in some meaningful way. And we have a screenshot of everyone holding names of kids, um, which I thought was a powerful moment for us just to be recentered around the why.
0: Yeah, that is, I mean, to have that, to have the picture, then you can get them framed, you put them on social media. I mean, there's a million ways. So I'm just ta- talking to the ruckus maker because that's telling the story time and time again. But also, yeah, grounding people, reminding them of that time that we all had mutual purpose. We agreed on what's most important, the why of the work. Like, there's just, I mean, that could be a show in itself. So I appreciate all the gems that you're sharing with us so far. Let's talk about sleep. You know, it's important to be able to sleep at night. And, And something I tell leaders often is like, you have to live with your choices, right? People might value my opinion or your opinion, you know, as we coach leaders, but at the end of the day, it's their choice to make. And it's their head that hits the pillow, right? And they're the ones who have to have peace at night. So, you know, what's your process like with uh, navigating the tension between those tough decisions you have to make and, you know, how you live with those decisions so you can sleep
1: peacefully? I think there's a few things I think about and have learned from a ton of really smart people and how I've kind of come to this conclusion of You know, I would rather sleep at night knowing that I did the best to do what is right by kids than trying to figure out how to do undo some wrongs. And so I'm able to rest on that very fact that I I know that every day, every night. I did everything that I possibly could the way that it should be done as far as being just, being right, being equitable versus trying to play some of the politics that sometimes come into these positions. Um, A colleague of mine once said, and said it often, and I want to tie it to the the balance between being altruistic to the vision versus playing the politics to maintain position. But he said, if you don't have time to do it right, when will you have time to do it again? And so that statement alone said to me in in the world of education, we don't have time. I don't have time. Our kids, the Deshans of the world don't have time for us to play around with the politics of a situation to kind of amend or appease feelings of adults when we know right in front of us is what is right. Prime example of this is. I'm sitting there or sitting outside of a classroom and, and there was a, a particular class that didn't have textbooks at the beginning of the year. And I'm just sitting there like, why don't you have textbooks? And there was a long-winded story of why this has happened. You know, who we were, you know, like the, the curriculum of, you know, advisor and, and this board member, and like all of these things around this one classroom. And I'm thinking kids in that room need materials and resources. The teacher needs resources to teach. We just need to get the resources there. And so I was able to sleep at night People around me were like, you know, kind of upset and worried about who's going to say what. And I was like, you know what? Kids got what they needed. There's seven hours of sleep for me. And I I would rather have that feeling than the feeling of like, now who do I have to explain this to? What story do I need to tell? What are the three lies that I have to undo to be able to manage a situation like that when really it's a very straightforward answer? Get kids what they need to be successful.
0: So did I get this quote right? If you don't have time to do it right, when will you have time to do it again?
1: Yes, that's it.
0: Powerful. So as a superintendent, you know, you have to work on principal mindsets, uh, but I think there's still value, like hearing how you did that so that the ruckus maker, who's probably a principal listening, how they could change their faculty's mindset. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, so I I feel like, you know, as as a principal, I think what I... I started to understand more about leadership and understand how to lead people is people don't want lip service. They want your service. They want to see that you are a person of your word and your integrity and the way that you balance being a person and being a leader and being someone that is able to listen. And so like I take those three things and I think about the importance of a new teacher who's brand new to the profession. I look at a teacher that might be 10 to 15 years in the profession, and then a, a more veteran teacher who may have 20 to 30 years. And I try to think about what do they see, hearing, and experiencing from my leadership so that I can sit in their shoes and say, what do they need to be successful? And once a principal is able to establish that mindset of understanding that it's not about what you say, it's more about what you do for them and how what they are saying to you that influences how you should lead, that actually creates a team that is bought into a vision because it's about a vision, not about an individual. It's not about a perspective or a person. It's about this this bigger purpose that's sitting in the middle. And that principal who's able to develop that and see that from the lens of others will be more successful.
0: And in uh, as a superintendent, what were you most proud of for accomplishing?
1: Hmm. You know what? That's a tough question for me because I think there was there's a lot of work still left on the table for you know the school district I just left, but also just when I look at the world of being in superintendencies, it's not, you're never done. Um, but I will say along the way, there were some cool moments in which there were things that were done right for kids. One of the things in, in Lorraine was just academically, our kids were uh, not provided the education that they deserve to be successful. Um, I walked into the, into the school district where 1% of our graduating class was college or career ready, 1%. Um, so you're looking at a graduating class of 440 and you're in single single digits numbers of kids that are actually prepared for life post high school and so I sit there and think about what are the things we need to do to better create circumstances for our kids and some of the things we were able to accomplish we were able to you know bring AP courses back to the high school which seems like a small thing I mean this high school didn't have any AP courses across the board we brought back three AP courses in addition to uh, getting more of our kids through early college so they were leaving uh, high school with an associate's degree than they were in the previous years. We increased by 75%. And then academically, I think one of the bigger accomplishments is we, we were a struggling district. It was a state takeover district. We had Fs for 16, 17 years in a row and, and never, ever seen a D. And we finally got to a D for the first time in over 25 years. And doing that means that we moved our uh, some of our baseline numbers up one of which is probably the largest gain that we saw was um, our gap closing went from an F to a B. So B as in boy. So we were, we were moving rapidly in one of the uh, fastest growing and improving uh, districts in the state, according to the state superintendent. So that felt good for the people in the community felt good for our kids. And I was just lucky enough to, to be a part of the process of getting to where they are today.
0: Yeah. That urgency and making a big impact. So, uh, that that i appreciate so much and talking about feeling good i think this is a good spot to take a pause for a message from our sponsor and when we get back i want to hear about trends you see uh, across roles and locations and some interesting projects you're working on these days better leaders better schools is proudly sponsored by organized binder a program which gives students daily exposure to goal setting reflective learning time and task management study strategies Organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder's color coded system is implemented by the teacher with the students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. Learn more and improve your students' executive functioning and non cognitive skills at organizedbinder.com. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. TeachFX is a research-driven app that uses artificial intelligence to give teachers feedback on the balance of teacher talk versus student talk. Their use of open-ended questions, wait time, and equitable classroom dialogue. Learn more and get a special 20% discount for your school or district by visiting teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All right. And we're back with David Harden Jr. And Uh, I'd love to hear, yeah, in all the leadership roles you've had, you've had a ton of them. What trends do you see across those roles and locations?
1: Yeah, I see a few things that that keep cropping up, one of which is the instability of leadership at the top. And I think there is a couple of things that create that circumstance. You have political elections that change the political dynamics on the local level, which then change the leadership that is in the uh, senior seats of the district and then changes school leadership in the most challenging districts. That happens in the most challenging districts, not all. Uh, When I think of those challenging districts, it often lands in urban centers or under-resourced rural centers, and those are the kids that are the most marginalized populations in our country. So a lot of this tumultuous leadership happens to our most marginalized and under-resourced communities. However, on the other side of the fence, you have the more affluent and suburban communities that are be, are able to maintain a level of stability at the leadership level and therefore continue to provide an education that is superior to kids that do not have. So that's like one big trend around leadership. The second is, there is, and again, I'm focusing a lot on urban centers because that's my 17 years worth of background is in urban centers. There's also just a, a pervasive, very... Um, I think it's the loudest silence, if that makes sense. The loudest silence surrounding what kids can do exists in urban centers, meaning when we look at black and brown kids or children of color, we often see them as someone who's unable to achieve high stakes or standards or expectations. They just they they can't meet them is like the unfortunate prevailing statement. And that is a feeling that is an experience that is not anything anyone's going to write down in an email. It is just a feeling when you walk into buildings, you walk into on school campuses and you see kids doing things that they wouldn't allow parents of you know I mean sorry teachers Uh, wouldn't allow their own kids to do at their house, right? So why is it okay in school settings? And folks just kind of write a lot of kids off. So there's this pervasive belief of what kids can do, matching that with leadership. And then the third bucket of this is when we think about how money moves in school districts and how resources are allocated for our kids, it's inequitable. We do not provide the right resources to kids who need it the most at the time that they need it. And therefore, we see a gluttony of, you know, districts that have way too many teachers who don't need teachers, but they might need social workers. Or I just remember in Miami when I was a teacher, every year we would go to this room where we had stacks of where the red fern grows. And like every year we would buy more. Of them, and I'm thinking, why do we have thousands of these books sitting in this closet that are never touched? When actually, what kids need are something very different. And so, I think about the inequities that exist there. So, you have the leadership challenge, you have the belief challenge, and you have just the financial uh, well-being of districts and how money is allocated that jump out to me. Um, and those three trends have been in every single uh, district and/or environment I've been around.
0: Yeah, and I'd like to add at least to that that second challenge. Uh, some ideas, you know, that that pervasive silence uh, and bringing this back to Deshaun, I think another way to make it very real for all the educators in the building is say, is this, is this school somewhere you'd be proud to send your own kid, right? Because uh, you're talking about the inequities here, right? And if you wouldn't want your own baby to experience the type of education we're providing as a community, then what are we doing? So that that's quite powerful. And then the other piece, yeah, those feelings and uh, uh, prejudice mindset about uh, our black and brown students probably aren't written in emails. And then, you know, maybe in some places they are, but, uh, you know, you don't have data to support that kids can't do it. You know, you have data that shows that they're not given an opportunity. But my lived experience, starting with like the AVID program way back, you know, decades ago, when when you uh, push underserved students and give them access uh, to the most rigorous curriculum and then uh, provide also systems for support, they thrive. And kids who were rocking Cs and Ds until they got to me became valedictorian, right? Because I believed that they could do it. And when they wanted to give up, I wouldn't let them. And I also uh, showed them a system of support on how to how to be successful in these rigorous courses too. So yeah, I just wanted to, to add that there too.
1: Yeah, there was one other thing that, that sticks out to me, two, two small anecdotes, both of which, uh, when I was you know a little further into the Midwest that came up. One, I was on a panel with a professor that was from Stanford. And he said, if you wanna ch- change urban school districts in this country and, and make them more equitable, make every board member send their youngest child to the district to be a student, one.
0: What about that private school they're sending them to, though?
1: (laughs) Right, (laughs) right, right, right. right. Yeah, that, that tuition could be used for something else, maybe giving it to the schools that need it. But nonetheless, they could send their kid there and that you would see things change dramatically, right? So that was one. The other was the reality that when we think about even use this analogy of like a goldfish, you know, when you have a goldfish, you, you put it in water and they say it's a small container, that, that fish will swim in the same pattern that they have always been. And then when you take that fish and put it into a larger container of water, you will see that fish go into that container and swim in that same pattern because the expectation is that they're in this smaller container. So why do we continue to keep kids in small containers and realizing they could do so much more, expand what we believe in them and and expand the level of expectations that we have for them, don't shrink it. Because as soon as we shrink it, they will start to just, you know, manifest in this smaller space and only realize the expectations that are only so low. So think about that fish in a small uh, fish bowl versus a large one, the impact that we could have if we change the size of that bowl.
0: Yeah, amazing metaphor there. And I challenge all the, the ruckus makers listening, use that goldfish analogy ASAP with your staff because that's, that's interesting. Because you're training, you know, and you're, you're, get, you're saying, here's the boundaries. And what if those boundaries um, are all made up? Because guess what? They are. We, we decide what they are. And if you remove those for your kids, what is possible? Awesome. Well, uh, Dave, w- what interesting projects are you working on these days? Please let us know.
1: Yeah, there's there's a few there's a few that I I'm, I have the chance to work on. I'm working on a, a lot of work around what does it mean to create uh, systems of equity within school districts, and so with uh, with my team, it's time to define what that framework is for districts and figuring out you know. For years, we've spent time, energy and money on classroom resources, which I think are right and which are important. And we've seen incremental change to our earlier conversation and how kids are receiving the education they deserve. But there's a bigger foundational issue that we haven't talked about, and that is fixing the systems that are at the backbone of how schools are run. If we look at back at the history of our country without going into a history lesson, because I was not a big uh, history fan. Mr. Woodruff, you're a great teacher. I appreciate everything you've done for me. But what I saw in history was it was very intentional design behind education, right? So we think about the roots of how schools were established we look at school boards coming on in the 1940s that came in right after the housing acts of 1935 and 1936 and you look at the employment acts that happened in 37 and 38 around that time uh, and layered that on with some of the uh the challenges that we had just with race relations in our country. And if you put all those at the backbone, you see how schools are created. Schools now sit and and are juxtaposed in neighborhoods based on property tax that is based on the money that is coming in from homes. And therefore, if you have more money, you probably have better schools. And then when you have better schools, you have different systems that run those schools. Same thing for under-resourced schools. When you think about money that goes in under-resourced schools, it's probably in neighborhoods that don't have the, the backing, the financial backing and all the other systems systems that align. So school districts that are sitting in those situations have to rethink their systems to make them more equitable. And that's the work that we're trying to do. How can we help school systems think about creating more equitable designs to their structures in their school buildings so that how we hire people, how we use money how schools are, are, are operated from transportation to food services So thinking about how we lead and how do we create leaders who are able to stay connected to the real challenges that they see. And building this framework around this idea, if we're able to connect to the challenge, include people in the process of making decisions, we'll ultimately be able to create opportunities for real change is the mindset. We believe that framework will help school districts. And then for fun, I spent some time like building a website and getting some blogs out there at madebychange.org. And then eventually we'll try to launch some more, some vlogs and other commentary for people to to respond to. So um, this is the stuff I do. And I guess now I, I'm a, a kindergarten slash first grade teacher now that my son is at home. So I do a little bit of that too.
0: i your favorite job as well, right? By far. By far. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Cool. Let's uh, close down this conversation, which i really enjoyed, Dave. And these two questions, I love to ask all my guests and can't wait to hear how you'll answer them. What message would you put on all school marquees across the globe if you could do so for just a day?
1: Uh, I would say don't give up on possible. Don't give up on possible because that, I feel like especially in where we're sitting right now, um, here's our chance to think about what can actually happen for kids in a real way. Um, The world is kind of paused Education as we knew it is disrupted. And here's this chance, here's this moment in time where we can kind of clean the slate of a ton of inequities that have existed and reimagine and and think forward to what is possible for kids. We eliminated the idea that we could teach kids through a computer. We eliminated the idea that kids couldn't learn from outside of eight and four. We eliminated the idea that um, they had to have structured uh, subjects throughout the day. And we all know that's not true now. And so we're living in a world where we can reimagine and say, do we need to go to school, you know seven hours in a row? Should we start a little bit later? Can we start a little bit earlier? Can we use technology to help our kids learn differently? And so I would say the marquee should say, don't give up on possible.
0: And you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. your only limitation, is your imagination. How would you build your dream school, and what would be your top three priorities?
1: Yeah. Dream school would start without a building. I'll say it again. They will start without a building. uh, Because I feel like by just a building alone, we are limiting the possibilities of what a child can experience. So why not start with learning in spaces across the town or city that we live in, in small groups, thinking about what is possible, innovating, thinking about how to be an entrepreneur because that's where we're going in the world. 60% of the jobs that are coming for our kids are, on, are not even created yet. So why don't we put them in spaces to be creative? So priority number one for me is to create spaces in which kids can be creative. Priority number two, which is probably like 1B, is making sure the people that are in front of them are educators who care about facilitating learning, not being the master of teaching and learning. And then number three is that I feel like we need to create schools that allow our kids to continue to dream. Um, I feel like there's an age in about third or fourth grade, I'm sure we've all experienced at some point where we're like, man, I got to go to that place tomorrow called school versus, wow, I can't wait to experience what is possible at school tomorrow. So I think just that shift in creating spaces where kids can dream can make the world a difference.
0: That was fourth grade, the shift for me. And I swear to you, that teacher I had, I won't name her name. She hated boys. We had such a rough time in that class. It went from Mrs. B, who I wrote about in my book, just absolutely tapped into our individual interests and our love, third grade, the fourth grade, the teacher hated me, and it was over. So yeah, I'm I'm with you there. Well, Dave, thanks so much for being a part of the Better Leaders Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today. What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember?
1: To, to that ruckus maker out there, I would say make sure that you get everything a child needs to be successful when they need it. You never know what they will need. You'll never know when they will need it, but everyone needs a little something different. And we think about how plants grow. We think, you know, plants need certain sun and water. And kids may not need sun and water as readily available to them, but they need care. They need love. They need a way to believe they can reach their potential. And that starts with us as adults providing them space to do that. Because you never know when that day shine in your life who's going to need you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode extra credit for tagging me on twitter at alien earbud and using the hashtag blbs level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time until then class dismissed